What is going on now? Well, I might have upset them. What'd you do? I told them that we were going to be watching Godzilla vs. Kong when what? really we're watching Kong vs. Godzilla. Oy vey. Okay, what is happening here? Where are we? Glix, give us a situation report. Currently, we are on the planet Geekery. Be warned, our impossibility drive may cause distortions uh -oh. as we traverse this land. Impending impossibility engaging in three, oh two, oh one. Hello, Devoted Geeks. Welcome to Contact, the podcast extension of Geek Devotions, the show from Devoted Geeks who are devoted to letting you know that you are loved. I'm Dallas, and this is episode 93 of Geek Devotions. I'm excited. This is my, my beautiful wife, Celeste. Say hi, Celeste. Hello. We, we have angry kaiju. We do have angry kaiju. And, and not because we didn't feed them tacos, because we've been doing that pretty steadily. We do. But we somebody feed said them the a wrong steady film. diet of tacos. <laughs> so... Um, why are they angry, Celeste? Um, I, I told them the wrong thing because I get them mixed up. They should have come up with a more original name. <laughs> it's a true story. So what are we talking about today? Today we are talking... Ooh, which one are we talking about? Today we're talking about King Kong versus Godzilla, which is clearly from some point in the 60s. Yes, 1963, actually. And Where am I? Josh. Hi, Josh. Well, What's up, buddy? I, hey, I, I think, I think your, uh, your Glick's mixed up. Uh, I was <laughs> just having a conversation about how awesome the violence of Steppenwolf was on, during the Snyder cut. And yeah, now I I'm, think, now I think I'm, she, you're, I think well, she's still angry at us because of John. Yeah, she. John's been messing with her. He's trying to fix her. I'm like, stop messing with our AI. I'm sorry, but welcome. Glad to have you here. Oh, so, I'm. I'm glad to be here. I <laughs> was hoping this film was going to be uh, a, a few more days away, but it it snuck up on me. <laughs> Much like the it's lightning a, to King Kong. Oh, <laughs> true story. <laughs> For those listening, this is if you're a longtime listener, you're familiar with this voice. If you're not, this, ladies and gentlemen, is Josh Berkey of Victims and Villains. Josh, introduce yourself to the crowd. Who are you? I go by the alias Captain Nostalgia, and I am the head of the nonprofit slash podcast uh, Victims and Villains. We are a uh we create content that dedicates uh, that educates and engages individuals on mental health awareness and suicide prevention through pop culture and uh as i said when i clicks first dropped me off here we were uh our content this week is focusing all on the snyder cut um and uh my wife and I have the privilege of doing the uh, doing a ministry that is in the same vein as well. Awesome. So glad to have you here. I encourage everybody to check out VictimsVillains.net. Uh, Josh, uh, I believe at the time of this recording, uh, you just put out a podcast about the Snyder Cut. Part one. We have part, part two one. coming out Friday. Ooh. So I encourage you guys to go check him out. He does reviews, all kinds of stuff. I've had the, the blessing to be able to write for him a couple times. And he's done some stuff for us over here. Uh, if you're interested in Snyder, we're not talking about the Snyder Cut on here. Uh, but if you're interested in it, check him out. Uh, I do have a spoiler-free review. 
on our website, but um, his is probably better. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> if it's spoiler free. <laughs> so the the so our written review is spoiler free. Gotcha. Our two part podcast is in depth, uh, spoiler so filled. Not, right. Not spoiler so, free. Um, I, I'm just gonna throw my voice in there. Uh, it was um, much better than uh, the original one. Yeah, I, I'm going to echo the same. And I, I really appreciate it. You guys is a synoptic gospel video nice. uh, with the Snyder Cut. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Well, speaking of Snyder Cut, um, we are kind of reviewing the Snyder Cut version of King Kong versus Godzilla because this film was chopped and screwed for so the... Sad. Um, for the American audiences you, and the you, American version yeah. was there's so much context missing from the American version so and bad. things are mixed around. It's really, it's awkward to watch at times, but, uh, so for the purposes of today's conversation, we're going to be talking about the Japanese version, which you can find in some various notoriously places. If you can find it on VHS somewhere, that's great. Um, if you can find I somewhere to play the VHS, that's even better. <laughs> if you can't, talk to Captain Nostalgia because he's gotten into the apparently VHS collecting is a thing, like it's a whole subculture now. It's like it's the next step from the records. <laughs> so, for those who are listening, Josh just pulled out a VHS of Spice World, uh, Ghosts, um, and uh, he just put all kinds of VHS oh, out. Xbox. That's not even open. <laughs> I know it's beautiful. Still has a Kroger brand logo on. Logo Apparently, on. you <laughs> paid fourteen bucks for that. I paid fifty cents for that. Nice. Uh, that's how much it was originally. <laughs> somebody paid fourteen dollars for that. So, anyways, guys, we're gonna be talking about the uh, the Japanese version of this film. So maybe you're listening to it today, and you're like, "Man, I don't remember what any of these scenes are talking about." Uh, that's probably because you only saw the American version. Uh, the Japanese version uh, did come out. I will say this. Um, there is a better version of the Japanese version out there uh, as far as quality uh, from what Celeste and I watched and probably what Captain Nostalgia watched. Japan, um, from my understanding, when they released it for the Criterion Collection, which is how Celeste and I watched it, they didn't get the very best prints for it. But apparently there is a, a cut that's out there, not a cut, but a version out there that's cleaned up and looks a little bit higher quality, maybe a little less jumpy. Um, and if you find that, I would love to know how you found it and because uh, that's um, cool. Or maybe we don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> True story. Well, let's get into this, guys. Let's talk about this film. Uh, I'm going to jump over to the IMDb and uh, look at the description that's on IMDb, IMDb about it. Uh, which, interestingly enough, the first description is, is about the English version, not the Japanese one. So I had to oh, scroll no. down a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Mr. Taco, like this already, the producer of a low-rated television show called Mysteries of the World, decides his show needs some spicing up. So he sends two of his staff, uh, two of his staff, Osamu Sakuri and... Kinsuboro Fury, I'm terrible at these names, I apologize, to Faroe Island to bring back some berries called Soma, noted for their non-addictive narcotic effect. He was he also wanted the two to bring back proof of a giant ape named King Kong. Bam, bam, bam. 
Exactly. As this is going on, submarine a submarine collides with an iceberg, releasing Godzilla, who was trapped there seven years earlier. When Osamu and Kinsubura arrived at Pharaoh, they are not only they not only find the berries, but the giant ape. After a battle with a giant octopus, Kong drinks some uh, juice and <laughs> drinks the juice made from the berries and falls asleep. While he is sleeping, the pair tie him to a raft and bring him to Japan. In the meantime, Godzilla is rampaging through Japanese countryside while the route to J- while in route to Japan, Kong breaks free and swims toward Japan and inevitably on a collision course with Godzilla. And that's that's the synopsis, the uh, the quick the quick read of uh, of this film, and um, just some fun facts. This was like the highest grossing Showa era uh, Godzilla film. Uh, <laughs> shocking, so shocking. <laughs> so uh, this is I want to say this is the third entry in the Godzilla franchise. Um, this is actually the third film for both Kong and Godzilla. Oh, nice. I didn't realize it was the third one for for Kong also. Yeah. So Kong had King Kong in 1933, and then right. that same year they did a Frankenstein sequel called Son of Kong, and mm. then he lied dormant for 30 years, and I, I don't know if you're going to get into this or not, but like how this movie kind of came to be, it was basically a producer wanting to take advantage of the recent popularity and decline of RKO pitchers who owned King Kong right. at the time. Absolutely. Actually, I'm glad you got into it. Cause that's some of the, st- some of the stuff you got to kind of know going into the film a little bit. Like this is a sequel film, mm-hmm. uh, to Godzilla raids again, which at the end of that film, Godzilla was trapped, um, buried in ice, which is where we pick up with him in this film. Uh, now I am told, and maybe Josh, you've, you've read differently. This is not the same Kong as the original ones from the 30. Um, it's, uh, it's, he's called King Kong, but he's written very differently. He's much bigger than the original Kong. And, uh, um, but for all intents and purposes, this is Kong. Um, this is also a controversy, controversial type of film because of the fact that the script writer, the guy who actually worked on this in the first place, uh, his stuff was taken because originally it was supposed to be King Kong versus uh, Frankenstein. Frankenstein. And then the script got jacked and sold to Japan and was reworked. And Toho greenlit this. And uh, there was actually almost a lawsuit about this film at one point in time. I believe it. Well, there, there's even things that happen in this film that they they took we're in the original Frankenstein versus Kong idea and just never changed. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure when we get into like spoilers, <laughs> we'll talk about that. <laughs> but, uh, cause I, I was so curious about like what, what was with this ending. And then like, I looked into it and it's like, Oh, they just never changed that. Okay. Right. <laughs> yep. So it's, it's an interesting film. So like our description said on the front end, um, we are dealing with, um, a company that is out to make money in a most ridiculous type of fashion by Indeed. kidnapping a giant ape basically. And, um, as he comes ashore, he has to deal with Godzilla and, um, Godzilla has just escaped from that little ice encapsulation that took place in the previous film. And, um, there, there's a scene with a guy that says that Godzilla will surely come ashore 
because he's got like this internal homing tracking thing coming about him that, you know, I, this is his home. This is his stopping, literally his stopping grounds, oh my uh, gosh. in Japan. <laughs> and, um, um, which I think reinforces the mindset of that Godzilla is this, is an, a animalistic force of nature mm-hmm. that is just inevitable for the people of Japan. Um, uh, definitely. Again, this is a, Godzilla holds a very special place in the minds and hearts of the Japanese, especially in this time period, because of what he represents. Now, this is 63, so this is 20 years after uh, Nagasaki. Oh, my gosh. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, you guys who have listened to our podcast before, we talked about the fact that he really does represent the, um, the atomic bomb and the effects of the bomb. He represents their hopes and he represents their um, their darker side, their disastrous side of who they are, uh, of what had happened in Japan through the Japanese during World War II. So there's a lot happening here with him. Kong now entering the picture and he's a, uh, I don't know how to describe what his character really is. Um, a rug? kind of kind of looks like a rug that needs to be washed a little bit (laughs) you're right there josh yeah especially whenever he gets wet and then you know Uh, godzilla hits him with the atomic breath right (laughs) yeah that was not a good look oh my gosh so um but kong certainly like he just seems like he's like he's being forced into this Mm mm-hmm he, and, he tried uh, to say no, sucker, and yeah. they didn't let him. <laughs> so in the American version of this, there's actually a line where they said that um, we were talking about this fight between Godzilla and Kong, that Kong would surely win because Godzilla's just a dumb animal, whereas Kong is a thinking animal. Did you guys feel like in the Japanese version that it played out that way? <laughs> I'm I'm going to say no. I feel like I almost feel like the Japanese version was making more fun of Kong mm. and playing more to Godzilla. Mhm. Well, sure, because Godzilla was a Japanese creation born yeah. and bred like it was a cultural phenomenon over there and so much as I'm, as I'm sure we'll get into talking about the differences between the Japanese version and the English version come from just the the different cultural barriers between the two cultures um but to your point dallas i i think that yes (laughs) all that to say yes very much so right very much so and again i think that's just the a difference in the culture and one of the things that i've found that's kind of cool uh, humorous uh, about this movie is that most people think that uh, because there's two different versions at the end, it's now been like a, a long fabled where you have like a version of the American version, Kong wins. And then in the Japanese version, Godzilla wins. Right. When reality, yeah, that, it's mutual destruction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is a, that is a running, like, it's so ingrained in the minds of people that, that that's how that happened. There's actually magazine articles that have been published in the past that say that. Um, what Was it Trivia Pursuit? Pursuit. Yeah. Um, they had that false fact. It was false news before there was false news. Uh, but they had that fact within Trivial Pursuit. It's the Mandela effect. 
Yeah. It really, <laughs> it really is, man. And um, so, yeah. So we have two different versions, but I don't know. This is kind of where we're at with, with the, who they are. Um, I think this is one of those fights that everyone was kind of wanting. Like when you, when you look at monster versus across the world, like what other monster really represents America? Like I can't think of any other one. I feel like that might be a loaded question. <laughs> Boy. What cinematic monster <laughs> creature? <laughs> it, it also depends on how you define creature and when you define uh, monster as well. Because when you mm-hmm. look at the time period that the original King Kong came out, 1933, mm-hmm. you have the rise of the universal monsters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have, uh, you know, the the mummy you have Dracula you have Frankenstein Bride of Frankenstein Creature from the Black Lagoon the Invisible Man and all of them eventually in the 40s and 50s ended up doing their own crossovers right so uh you know America by this point in the 60s has had many different iconic um creatures so to say that have mm-hmm. graced the screen. So I don't, I don't think that there's ever been one that's truly uh, ever represented the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, Japanese, you can instantly just talk to anyone that has never seen a Godzilla or at the very least has only ever seen like the Americanized versions of Godzilla and says, you know, that is Japan's monster. Right. Yeah. I can see that at the same time though. I mean, if you look back, like, um, I mean, I feel like that um, Frankenstein and, and Dracula, Dracula, they really represent European uh, individuals, like the, the European mindset of creatures. I don't know about Frankenstein so much. I mean, I know he was created in Europe. He, he technically is a European monster, but he is not necessarily specifically European. So that's that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> right. But the, but the I mean, of course, Mary Shelley, who wrote him, was from the UK. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I'm thinking from. But, you know, it works. <laughs> so we have this mashup between the two, Godzilla versus Kong. And um, it is a it's the 60s. Can we just say that? It's the 60s it all the way through. Definitely the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just from the filming style to um, the color was nice. Um, <laughs> so, um, but it was definitely a, it's a, a film, I think, that's really rooted in the 60s for a lot of reasons. Um, Well, I'm glad I got that little announcement for the board out of the way. I'm telling you, I'm getting really tired of doing these hourly announcements. It's so annoying. But the board has mandated what the board has mandated, Jimmy. Exactly. And at this point, I like staying terrestrial. However, I do like the fact that we've pre-recorded a few of them so I don't have to get up constantly in the middle of the night and make these announcements because I like sleeping. You'll sleep when you're dead? Yeah. (laughs) I've heard plenty of people say that. Also, weren't you dead once already? You got better, of course. One of these days you're going to tell me how you did that.
But right now, I need to start prepping my notes to go on Retro Rewind. Well, I should say both of us are going to be going on Retro Rewind to talk about Monkey Lizard Punchy Punchy. (laughs) Yes, that's my little nickname for it. As opposed to Lizard Monkey Punchy Punchy. See, the thing that I really appreciate, though, is that we're going to be talking about the Japanese version and not enough people outside of Japan have seen the Japanese version. I know, it's difficult to get your hands on it unless you buy the Criterion set, which got some middling reviews from the fandom, unfortunately. But the thing that most people don't realize, you have to remember, Jimmy, is that that movie's actually a satire. Specifically, it's a satire of commercialism because at that point, Japan was experiencing the Japanese economic miracle and their economy was booming and people were getting televisions. And so that's why you have things in this movie like the bubblegum commercial that we see being filmed early on in the movie from one of our heroes because he can play drums, which is something that comes back later in the movie. And then there is the TV show that's supposed to be talking about earth science. And instead they're talking about the world is about to end. And then they suddenly, the host comes in, Mr. You know, Japanese, Mr. Science, Mr. Wizard or whatever comes in and he's all, Oh, well that's something that actually could happen, but hasn't. And then don't get me started on Mr. Taco and how he's trying to get Kong so he could promote Pacific Pharmaceuticals more with Kong as a mascot, and then when Godzilla shows up and he's got the monkey, he's all, oh, there's marquee value with this. There's even a meta joke about somebody making a movie about this, and they treat the whole thing like it's a pro wrestling match. I mean, the whole thing is a giant send-up, giant parody of things like commercialism at that point, which was a very apt thing at the time. Heck, it is still apt now. I mean, we've seen stuff like this be satirized a whole bunch ever since then. I mean, haven't you seen the original RoboCop? Yes, I know. You love that movie. But anyway, as I was saying, hold on. Are you broadcasting this out still? You forgot to hit the off button. Oh, boy. I can only imagine who may have heard this. Exactly. As long as it's not the board, I think we'll be okay. Well, that was awkward. I hope we weren't (laughs) supposed to hear that transmission from Nathan. (laughs) But it does bring up some interesting conversational pieces about this film, though. It does. Uh, Like I said, it was the 60s. And Japan in the 60s was... It was a booming place. It was happening. There was a lot of growth happening there. And um, so taking what what, uh, Nathan has said... What are your guys' thoughts about how that, that plays out, the commercialism and and just the flamboyant way that um, TV production and advertisers just went out of control for advertising's sake back in the 60s in Japan within this movie? So I, it was an interesting... <laughs> it was an interesting side of things, I think, because... Without that knowledge, it just looks like they're being ridiculous, which is pretty classic Japan as far as we're concerned. Like, I mean, <laughs> just watch any any not super serious anime and you're going to see that one character that you're like, dear Lord, what's happening to their brain? <laughs> um, so that's the that you have those tropes and then you kind of see the beginning of those tropes. Mm. I can kind of see that. For me, it, I think it, it's one of the very redeeming qualities of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like we get dropped in as an audience at Pacific Pharmaceuticals and you follow mm-hmm. them until I mean you, you go back and forth a little bit to like hints of Godzilla but you never really meet Godzilla until like mm-hmm. almost the third act mm-hmm. and to me I, I feel like I loved that world so much greater and I think that they even for it being as campy as it is they were very clever in the way that they we're doing it because and, and that's still on brand for who Godzilla was because you know Godzilla was nothing more than uh, a satire or a commentary however you define it on uh, nuclear war so it makes mm. sense that you know they're like alright we're going to use this platform to talk about X and we're yeah. going to bring back King Kong because this was his you know introduction to the kaiju well, I can't say that because he technically, fun, fun fact, I learned this today. Yeah. Uh, the very first kaiju film was a short film that played right before the original King Kong. Wow. And it was uh, Kong Goes to Japan or something like that. No. Really? Yeah. And it was it was produced by RKO Pictures. And, um, but this was kind of the first time that you had ever really seen him in like a full scale thing. And he's also coming off of the, because RKO uh, went bust who owned King Kong, the, you know, all of his movies basically, well, the two that he had out, they just were public domain and they just played them around the clock all the time. So it Mm. makes sense that you're using a now cultural icon to, sell your commercialism and kind of comment and talk about the ridiculous uh, nature of just how far people will go to sell a product. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you definitely see it all the way through also just the the ridiculousness that, we go, that they went to to sell that product. Um, there was, I, I was reading something today and it's talking about how in this time frame, there's even like the, um, there was literally raiding wars going on in Japan at this time where one production company was fighting with another one over the ratings and they would do these outlandish things to get people to come look and watch and I think Celeste said like it really did I think help establish some tropes that we see today within Japanese cinema or Japanese television at least where it's super bright it's flamboyant and it's like oh this is this this is that and there's a lot that's taking place um there was a story I, I read though that said that like it's even rumored that there was an elderly couple that was so taken back by the flamboyant just ridiculousness that they did on television that somebody actually died. <laughs> like there was this elderly couple that just their hearts gave out from what was shown on the television, and um, and the production companies just didn't care about those rumors. They're like, we're selling a product, we're trying to get out there, we're trying to do this stuff. And that really was kind of what was happening in this film. You have uh, Mr. Taco, and like he just didn't care. Like, don't blow up Godzilla. I want to keep him. You mean you know, Kong? We, yeah, yeah, Congo. Sorry, you know, it's like he was pushing the entire time throughout the entire film to get Kong on land and to um, push him out from everybody to make money off of him. Uh, there was even a, I remember the line he was talking about how uh, he's like, "What do you think the headline would be?" He's, you know, Kong holding a holding a, a handful of Pacific pharmaceuticals saying, uh, I beat King, I beat Godzilla before I uh, take my pharmaceutical drugs. And after. it's like after. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's, it's all wrapped around this whole commercialism idea mm. of we're pushing a product no matter what. 
Um, I think I've talked about this with Josh before. There's a film that I saw on Netflix years ago. I can't find it called Branded. Uh, I think it was a Russian film, maybe. And uh, super weird, super fascinating, but kind of along the same route of talking about how powerful branding is and yeah. marketing is and how it controls the lives of individuals, not caring the effect of the lives of the individual. Morgan Spurlock did a, uh, being the documentarian behind Supersize Me, uh, mm-hmm. did a, a movie mm-hmm. similar to that called uh, The Greatest Movie Ever Sold. And oh, wow. uh, it's a fascinating documentary. I, I, if you can find it, I think it's streaming on like Amazon and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, people just don't care. I mean, we always put, you know, the dollar first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like I said, you, you see this play out in this film all the way through. Side note, and, Brandon, hmm? you can watch on Amazon Prime, YouTube, oh. Google and Voodoo. I might check it out later. So um, now here's one thing aspect of it. At the end of the film, um, I forgot who it was that they're talking to now. He says um, that they, they're watching King Kong swim away back to his island. And they're all like, what the heck, you know? And like they're thankful for him for, him for defeating Godzilla. And the guy goes, perhaps we should be like him and learning to adapt no matter our surroundings, our environment. Mm. And I've been pondering that line because, again, Hondo, the guy who, who did the film, he was very intentional about his messaging. And he said very clearly this is a very much an anti-commercialism uh, and things that were taking place. Um, oh, I forgot one more fact that I learned today, that there was actually uh, a reporter, uh, our commentators at the time, and they said that they, um, they were so against what was going on, they would say that, uh, televisions were raising ten a hundred thousand idiots a day. Oof. <laughs> uh, Hondo did respond to that. He said, "I don't think it is. I just don't think that television cares about their viewers. I think it's raising a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand idiots, but it doesn't care about the viewers itself." But I'm trying to figure out what, where this line of perhaps we should be like Kong and learn to adapt no matter where we're at. Um, how that plays into the greater theme of commercialism. You guys have any thoughts on how that might play out at all? Well, it might have been that um, he was saying that while while the commercialism is terrible, you have to you have to adapt to your surroundings. Mm-hmm. So you know these these things are ridiculous and terrible. But if if we kind of adapt to it, maybe we could change it. I don't know. I'm stretching there. <laughs> what do you think, Josh? Yeah, I honestly don't know. Um, I mean, in terms of like commercialism, I think that, you know, it it speaks very, very deeply to like challenge the viewer in like other aspects. But I feel like it's really stretching, like Celeste was saying, to like mm. connect the two to consumerism. Right. I don't know. Maybe some of you are listening. Maybe you have an answer for us. Maybe you can tell us what, what where that line plays into the greater theme of the film. Um, now there was a lot of stretching in this film. There were a lot of changes that took place in this film. Um, some, there was a lot of ridiculousness that took place in this film. Yes. Um, this is the first film that started the quote unquote super ridiculousness, uh, that is, that is almost stereotyped within, uh, these in Godzilla films and specifically in the Showa era of, of Godzilla films. Um, <laughs> 
and Godzilla raids again. Uh, it was the first time you saw Godzilla fight another monster, another kaiju. And it's very much this animalistic, raw fighting thing. But in this film, they are quite literally emulating. Like, this is what they, they purposely did this. Emulated pro wrestling for the fight scenes between Godzilla and Kong. Oh, yeah. Right down to, like, I'm flexing. <laughs> like, come at me, bro. It's just waiting for somebody to go plus ultra. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah. Look, I got something to say, Josh. This, this man, I don't know what wrestling was like in the '60s, and I'm not a wrestling <laughs> fan in 2021. Right. But man, I grew up like watching like WWF back when that was still a thing. Right. Uh, and I was a lot more entertained by that stuff, <laughs> and that looks more real to me than 1962s. King Kong right. versus Godzilla because well, but they were missing the giant rubber suits Josh that's look, the problem those rubber suits don't even look like they fit right <laughs> it looks like they had like six inches of just like plywood that they're like ah, yeah. just, just use your arm they look like they that's another thing we, we can get into that a little bit later that's, that's, right. that's well, let me ask these fight the scenes does it help that um, the the director um, the guy who was directing everything he specifically was forcing them to make things so it was more kid friendly. Like they wanted to to they wanted kids to see this and laugh and enjoy the film. Does that help to give excuse to the what's flip Godzilla over our shoulder? No fight scenes. Yeah. (laughs) But it helps give context because it would make sense because again, it going back to all of like kids, whether, I mean, I don't know if it was like this in Japan, but like in America at that time, they were playing King Kong and son of Kong constantly. And son of Kong is a very campy movie. Oh, is it? So like, it makes sense that they're trying to appeal to that wider demographic because you have both of those films going that way. And it looks like it looks like Godzilla wore the family friendly crown for quite a long time. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> those right. are the movies Celeste won't watch. <laughs> God bless you. I watch them by myself. Yes, he does. (laughs) All right. So, guys, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the things we liked about King Kong vs. Godzilla, some of the things we didn't like about it, and whether or not we can recommend this movie to other individuals. So, (laughs) see you guys right after this break. (laughs) Welcome to Victor. This is the channel where we talk nerd, we talk hope, and we speak nothing else. I'm your host, Captain Nostalgia, and I'm so glad that you are here to join us. Victims and Villains is a podcast and YouTube channel that marries pop culture and suicide prevention, producing content with the intent to let people know that there is hope and that there is a better way and that each and every listener has value and worth. Listen to Victims and Villains on your favorite podcast catcher or on YouTube by searching for Victims and Villains. Also, check out their website, victimsandvillains.net. And we are back. As you know, we definitely support 
victims and villains. Uh, hence the reason Josh is here with us. That's the only reason I, th- I thought we were friends. No, no, we're fr- <laughs> we would be friends even if you didn't do victims and villains. It might have taken us longer to find you, but we would still be friends. So okay. this is a true story. This is this is true. This is this is fair. Hey, how can people find you real quick? Yeah. Uh, Victimsandvillains.net is where you guys can find links to our main podcast catchers being Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of our social media, past episodes, movie reviews, and most importantly, our mental health resource library. Yes. So go check out their website. It's pretty slick looking. I like it. Um, Check out their stuff. I listen to the podcast when it's things that when you cover things that I, I watch or have watched. So yeah, we're pretty all over the place. So there's, you that. are. And then you, you hit the things cause I, I have weird standards. So you hit things where I'm like, mm, no, I'm good. That's okay. It's for other people. So, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about, uh, Kong versus Godzilla. I keep mixing it up. I need them to be more original. Okay. So we're going to talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and if we can recommend this film. So, Josh, what is something that you liked? The credits rolling. No, 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 no. No, no. That doesn't count, sir. I had to, I had to, to, to put it somewhere just to, just to get under Dallas's skin. Um, I would say for me, uh, I really enjoyed the the consumerism message that we were just talking about. Um, yeah. Is one of the the highest highlights for me of this movie. Um, I don't know if you guys want me to give a second one, but that's my first one. So, yeah, right, cool. I, I can tell you, I, I enjoyed that also. I've that is people. I know that these Godzilla films aren't the greatest films, but well. <laughs> Like, I know these things. Like, there's this part of me that's like, I don't care. It's fun, you know? Yeah, they uh, are fun. I will enjoy stuff that's that's dumb, but it'd be fun, though. However, um, I do appreciate that through almost every single Godzilla film, there is a deeper conversation that's taking place. And, like, that's what draws me to these films, me personally, is um, the deeper conversation that takes place in the midst of this ridiculousness that takes place also. What was so the, I'm, I'm coming with you on that. What was the message for Biolente? For Biolente? It was a lot of, uh, if I can just be blunt, tree huggery type of stuff. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I was confused because it was just a giant plant in a lake. I'm like, what the heck? Um, anyway, so I, I liked the human element storyline between the brother, the fiance, and the sister. That was- oh, yeah? Josh is making faces, so I'm pretty sure he didn't care for that. I thought it was a more interesting story than watching Godzilla and King Kong beat each other Mm. up. Um, There were definitely some parts of it that I'm like, oh, this is annoying. Like, just because everybody who listens to the podcast knows I detest weak, screaming women. So she annoyed the crap out of me later. But... Mm. The overall storyline of that was a nice touch. And mm-hmm. if you take into account that it's from the 60s, it's it's not a bad storyline. Right. Can I ask you something, being the only woman on this podcast? Sure. How would you feel if a man in a rubber ape suit kidnapped you? <laughs> <laughs> 
It's a very specific question. <laughs> I'm not saying that I wouldn't be freaking out, but I'm saying that these women, and it's it's the same thing that I had. Okay, we're going on a rant. Should we go on a rant? <laughs> we're going on a rant. It's the same going rogue. same issue I had with Lois Lane and Superman. Don't just <laughs> stand there and go, eh. Run. Take your heels off. Chunk the shoes at somebody. Like, just... <laughs> Do something or or just freeze because that's a legitimate reaction. Just freeze and don't do anything. But this like she fell in the water out of the train and she's like you can see her. She's like trying to do bad Baywatch. It's like <laughs> like it's just like she's fl- purposefully flinging the top of herself back. And you're like, that's not how you would fall in water. Take the friggin shoes off. So. I'm done. My wife is making the best references over the last couple of days. I'm going to brag on her for a second. Yesterday in Bible study, oh gosh. she was describing the way Jesus's love is. And she's like, it's like a Jesus burrito. You just feel warm and safe as he surrounds you. And the, the, then to everyone who's in the Bible study just lost it. We were done. For, for reference, <laughs> it was a we're the middle of a God burrito. All right. Because it's from Psalms. So it's pre-Christ. <laughs> Although that does work because we are post-Christ. But anyway. Uh, to your point, though, we we had not reached that place culturally. Um, so that is why women are depicted that way. And it, the, the 60s really, really bugged me about the depiction of women. The more invested that I get into <laughs> certain mediums. Uh, and you, I don't think you reach that, unfortunately, until like the 90s or like yeah. the 2000s. There was some but, of it going on in like the 70s well, in I American wonder, cinema. Because um, a, a couple of those ladies were in were Bond girls. Like they were in James mm-hmm. Bond films. And um, now I haven't seen all the James Bond films. Do you did you recognize them, Celeste, when we were watching the film? I don't. I recognized the lady on the island who was a Bond girl. I can't mm-hmm. place which one she was, but the rest of them must be. Uh, I'm I'm only up to. Um, I'm just past Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. Well, the one on the island. I mean, she wasn't that stereotypical. Like, oh, I'm helpless. Like she until was like not. there was the giant octopus. But like, like she was kind of. She had some sass to her. She did. She wasn't taking crap. In. And and so. I appreciated that. It was it was really the in the water scene. That mm-hmm. was bugging me, and I was just already <laughs> irritated by the time she was in Godzilla's hand because of the previous scene. I was already like, "Ugh." Right. So I get that. that is my rant. <laughs> we we were talking about things we liked. Right. I apologize. <laughs> well, for me, something I liked, I liked um, the blending of some. It, it wasn't always a hit, but some of the practical effects hit well for me at times. Um, at times, uh, Josh is like eating his whole <laughs> fist because he hated it. Remember the time but, frame, Josh. Remember but the time remembering frame. the time frame, the way that they were doing stuff. It, I appreciate the creativity they did to try to make things happen using um, the the back projection, using some early green screening, uh, mixed in with ac- actual practical things that took place, like that whole squid scene. While there was some mm-hmm. ridiculousness going on, that was legitimately a, a, like a live squid, and there there were like three or four. Yeah, there was three of them. Two, th- two of them got uh, went back into the wild, and one of them was later turned into calamari. Dinner yeah, like after they finished filming. That's a legend. 
and I think they're keeping a legend because you can't get away with that today. No. Uh, <laughs> so. Peta says no. But like I appreciated that, like that whole practical sense, because they had to take the camera, take it off a tripod, put it on the ground to follow this octopus as it falls around. They had to use hot air to get it to move and to do certain things and act certain ways. Like, like when it was that, angrily flapping the side of its head? Yeah, pretty much. But I mean, that was that was legitimately a lot of work to make an effect because they didn't want to do the claymation, which they could have done. They could have done claymation. They did. There's one one beautifully ridiculous, terrible scene where they did claymation, which was mm. where Godzilla jumps up in the air and punches and kicks uh, Kong in the chest with both feet. Is that when that was? Yes. Okay. It was gloriously terrible, and uh, <laughs> that's one way to put it. I I would have preferred them to to keep the claymation. I I just watched King Kong tonight for the first time, right. the original thirty three, and oh, like man. the blending of like and listening to like how they created the effect of like the claymation and like the actual humans was just mm. uh, such ahead of its time. Yeah, and the, so much of that claymation was like King Kong's identity at that time. Right. This was the first time that he had ever been in like rubber suit. But also, this is an adaptation, as we previously talked about. Mm-hmm. Right, absolutely. And and I'm, I'm with you. I would have liked to have that, but at the same time, I don't think they had the budget or the time frame to make this happen. Yeah. Um, from my understanding of the way that films and production companies run in Japan, it is brisk, fast-paced. Like, there is no time to wait. They're getting this stuff out the door. So where they can cut corners, they cut corners. And um, you're working faster so you can get more projects done because the more projects done, the more you get paid. It doesn't matter how long you work. It's how much much stuff you get done. And so, um, which leads some to some terrible things, but at the same time, it leads to some ingenuity. Let's, let's make things a little bit better. Um, yeah. So I appreciated that aspect, even to the, the miniatures, which again, I know looks terrible when you compare it to other things, but if you were to look back at the history of Godzilla, yeah, of, of the previous Godzilla films, and um, I'm trying to think, when did Mothra come out? Yeah, Mothra. Mothra, um, like Mothra was 60s. 1961. Yeah. Yeah. Even with between 61's Mothra to this King Kong, um, I'm, King Kong versus Godzilla in 63, the use of miniatures and the way the miniatures act and feel was leaps and bounds greater than what the than what Toho had produced beforehand. Mm-hmm. So they're constantly again, growing. I'll absolutely. give them that. And that's the thing is like, and this is where I probably come from a different perspective than than Celeste and Josh here. Because I've been watching these in sequential order. Um, I, I had the opportunity to review Mothra for Josh, actually. Uh, again, VixenVillains.net, if you want to check out that, uh, the review of, of Mothra I did. Uh, it was a, the Mill Creek Still Box Collection. It's a beautiful collection. Um, <laughs> but um, but I, because I've had the opportunity to watch these, I've had the opportunity to see the production company grow. And so I appreciate where they're at in this portion of where they're they're mixing real life elements with miniature work with um uh rear screen projection uh with well i'm i'm, I'm gonna be honest with you the blue screen wasn't working for me but no. they were trying yeah. they tried it's, so that's what i liked about it 
So, um, Josh, what's one more thing that you liked? Uh, I'll say the acting. I didn't have any issues with the acting in here. Like Celeste was saying, like a lot of like the human storylines seem to work for me a lot more than King Kong or Godzilla. And I'll talk mm-hmm. about that when we move into <laughs> dislikes because, man, I have strong feelings. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, I think the acting in this was was fine. And, like, they, they did a uh, – it is a lot of stuff that's going on, but it never feels like that's the issue that's going on with this film. Right. I get that. I get that. Which is interesting. You, you guys are both speaking to an actual debate within the – uh, the kaiju fandom, and that is um, the human plot lines. Like, it's highly debated whether or not they're needed. There's people who are like, look, man, the human plot lines are, are a major portion of it. They help you to connect to it. And there's some people who are like, I just want to see Smashing Animals. And so, um, uh, which is a, a band that opened up for Smashing Pumpkins. And Yes. Um, so it's interesting. You guys are definitely in the camp of, of the human plot line, which I'm, I'm with you. I enjoy the human plot line. I think that those that helps the viewer to experience these things in a different way. Don't get me wrong. When it's done well, I don't mind seeing big explosions. Yeah, absolutely. And and things. I like I am a fan of the Transformers movies even if the storylines are not <sighs> the best. But because cars and shiny and pretty and boom. But <laughs> I, without the human element you lose a lot yeah yeah i I think for me like not being like i've seen a lot of godzilla movies i've seen a lot of like these kaiju movies i can't wait for clifford the big red dog you know (laughs) uh but (laughs) that's that's another one that's debated (laughs) uh that front Anyways, um, I'm just, I'm kidding. I, I could care less. Uh, but I, I think for me, like I'm with, uh, Celeste, like I think when it's done well, I find myself really enjoying it. Like mm-hmm. I know I'm going to get a lot of crap from Kaiju, like hardcore fans. I enjoyed the, the 2014 Godzilla movie. Yeah. I we, think we did too. It, it has just enough Godzilla in it all of the human elements invest me as a viewer. And then you're building up to the larger grand scale of the, the monster verse that legendary is creating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what that was used for. And I think for me, like I need to care about these characters because I'm always going to be a cinephile first and a Kaiju watcher second. Mm-hmm. I get that. Babe, i What's your second thing? Um, well, my second thing is that I thoroughly enjoyed the storyline. So like Josh was saying, the overall human element just was really, really good. Um, Mr. Is it said taco or is it? Ta- say, I, I don't know. We'll call him taco. Okay. Which I think is funny because it means octopus in Japanese. So <laughs> I thought that was a nice little play on, on words. Like right. he was head of Pacific Pharmaceuticals, so he was, and he, and he was slimy. He has hands and everything, and he was attacking King Kong and making him do things he didn't want to do, like the one that got eaten for dinner. I mean, but yeah. So even even him, as I'm not a huge fan of super ridiculous humor, but 
it was just, it was riding that line, his character of being super ridiculous, but being humorous in his super ridiculousness. Yeah. If he had gone any more ridiculous, I think I would have, I would have put him up there with uh, the chick in the water. (laughs) I get that. So uh, mine, I'm going with you guys on this one, the whole human plot line. Um, Actually, I like the the deeper message and all that good stuff too. Uh, But the human plot line was definitely um, a big deal. Um, I thought it helped the story go through. You get to experience it in a different way. Um, I did find it funny that uh, um, <laughs> the uh, when what's his face um, went missing, and um, and they're like, "Oh, his ship has disappeared." So Homegirl runs off, and then he shows up um, the next day, and the girl's like, "Ah!" and she drops the plate. And um, yeah, what and was that like, food? Because it looked really good. It looked like Jello to me. I don't really know. I think there was chicken involved. <laughs> Same. So, but I appreciated the, the plot line, the human plot line. I think that they helped you go through. I appreciate the humor. Um, those guys that, the the two guys specifically that went out there on the, um, t- on the expedition. Um, it's my understanding that they're actually they were like a known comedy duo. Like this is what they do. Like they're almost the Japanese Abbott Costello. Mm. One was very much the straight man. The other one was the the goofball. And so, I don't know, I appreciate it. It helped me to enjoy the film a little bit more. Because there were some <laughs> things I disliked about the film that needed some help. Help, and help, so, I'm being repressed. <laughs> so, My time to shine. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Josh is super excited. So, we're going to go ahead and end the show today and leave it. No, Josh, what is something you disliked? Man, I, we were talking about this last night after I got done watching it. And I got to say, like, tonally speaking, this movie has so much issues. Because when you go through the first two thirds of this movie, it's very goofy. It's very slapsticky. And it's like a pharmaceutical company needing to, you know, re up their advertising uh, game. So they're going to go and try and get King Kong. Cool. I like it. It's goofy. I, I'm, I'm here for it. Then you enter in Godzilla awakes and it's like all of a sudden, like it just like, just gets like really dark and serious. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of feels like anytime that you have King Kong and Godzilla, like the story just like pivots away and focuses on one and goes to their tone. And then it like, it tries to like go back and forth and it just, did not work for me. Right. Right. I get that. I really do. And I'm, I'm going to come follow. I get, I understand the, the tonal shifting being distracting. Part of me wonders if that's the fact that they were just rewriting somebody else's script and plugging Godzilla in. And there's mm-hmm. a preconceived mindset of how Godzilla should be. And some of that, I wonder if there was, cause my understanding, there was actually some pushback on the, we don't want to make this kitty. Like we don't want this to be a, a kid show. And so I wonder if that was some of the tonal shift you, you, we saw taking place was some creative bickering within the, the production of it. Well, I, I'm almost curious, too, because I've, I've heard two different sides of the story to where there was a draft that was originally going to be Frankenstein versus King Kong. 
and then all that crap happened and then they were trying to do a godzilla versus frankenstein movie as well in japan before king kong ever got into the picture and so that's why you have like some of that weird like lightning makes kong stronger subplots right yeah (laughs) yeah that was definitely weird yeah uh, I'm I'm with you on that, and I, I'm 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 in the same place as you because I did some I did some digging trying to figure out what's actually happening here. Um, there was a Frankenstein conquers the world film that had him fighting a Godzilla isk individual, but it wasn't necessarily. Um, but it was at the same time. I was really confused by some of the stuff I was looking into and reading into it. Uh, so anybody who's like listening, I'm sure that um, um, Nathan's going to hear this at some point and, and holler back at us. Yes. Um, oh, I know what it is. Godzilla versus Baragon. Not Godzilla. Frankenstein versus Baragon was the one that came out. But I, I'm getting some conflicting. Like, was that originally Godzilla? Are they renaming it? What's going on here? I was very confused. Who's Baragon? What's um, Baragon? <laughs> It's another monster. <laughs> Baragon was another monster. And um, it's a subterranean monster, apparently. And so I'm kind of with you on that, man. Now, I just, I'll say this. It had a horn coming out of its head. Baragon has a horn. It's a unicorn. So. Yeah. Sure. That's it. <laughs> it's a unicorn. So. Side note, my mind was blown when I discovered narwhals are real. Continue. <laughs> Random about. facts of the day. Talking about animals with horns. All right. So the tonal shift. Celeste, was that an issue for you, or is there maybe something else that you, you struggled with? So I I had an issue with King Kong's suit. Mm. It was rough Preach. looking. It, yes. It looked like he took a Sunday nap and then didn't take a shower after. Because <laughs> he was all kinds of messed up. Um, that, and I'm not entirely sure what was with the armor plates that were supposed to be his pectoral muscles. <laughs> like they were moving, they weren't even, and then they'd shift and it was, it was awkward. It was very awkward. Budgetary restraints. It was awkward. <laughs> it was, it was awkward yeah. and terrible all at the same time. I'm going to fall with what I had issues with the, with his suit. And I had issues with him as a character as a whole. Um, the like the way that he ran, he did stuff. I was like, "Are you? You're not really trying to act like a gorilla or a monkey. You're just running around with your arms flailing, like with Josh. Like you know what his arms remind me of, Josh? You remember anybody when they were kids? They'd put their hands, the whole arms, yes. into the tubes for the um, oh um, yeah, to like the, your heart, like like." Rate or something like the wrapping paper. Oh, the wrapping yes. Tubes? Yeah, okay. What are you talking about? Thing? Like that's what it reminded me of. Was like a five year old going Arr! like that. I'm pretty sure and at one point he really was holding two by fours to extend his arms. <laughs> that's what it looked like. Like I couldn't it really like, did. Anytime he moved, it's like like you're saying, Dallas. It's like he just did not like. They didn't care about how he moved. They're just like, ah, just imitate a monkey. You right. know, and it just never felt like he kind of like actually got there. But we're also spoiled by the genius of Andy Circus and <laughs> freaking Rick Baker with the Planet of the Apes movies. Right. Well, I I, uh, I was watching a video 
a couple weeks ago in preparation for this, and they were talking about this film. And they said that the guy who played him, he was told instructors specifically, hey, go watch some nature films, study how gorillas and apes move, and try to emulate those with the suit. And he's like, eh, I don't care. It shows. I'm not going to do that. And, um, and apparently the, the cost of getting King Kong and the, the amount of money this dude demanded for his paycheck for playing Kong is part of the reason why their budget was shot in the face. He uh, did the not deserve time. whatever he got given. That's that's my problem. No. Like, if you're getting paid that much, go watch some uh, some videos, dude. <laughs> yeah, like, it, it shows that, that he did not, like, watch it. Like, it, maybe he made, like, an attempt. Because, like, there are movements where, like, he's like, all right, I, I'm, like, kind of hunched. Like, my arms are hanging down a little bit low. But, like, it's, it's never like he was, like, studying to, like, I'm going to disappear into this role. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. He's like, I'm in a suit. I don't care. So, uh, now I did it for, for their benefit, awkward benefit. I'm told that the fight scenes between him and, and Godzilla, him and the guy who, in the Godzilla suit, actually choreographed those themselves. Like, they're the ones who are like, we'll plan this out. We'll do this. And, like, they used popular wrestling at the time big as their influence. Big mistake. <laughs> it shows that this, these fights were not choreographed. Uh, the scene—I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Blank Man, mm-hmm. but there's a scene in, in in Blank Man where Damon Wayne's character is like for the first time like stepping out to do uh, the, you know, being a hero or vigilante, and he's like stopping this this uh, this uh, like purse mugging or whatever, and. Uh, Damon Wayans is like, slap me around and call me Susan. And so there's these alley guys literally just slap him around. And that's what these fights felt like to me. Like, they never (laughs) felt like wrestling. It's just like two girls, like, fighting over, like, the last purse at, like, a Claire's. (laughs) I I would maintain that 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 fight that you just mentioned is actually more vicious. (laughs) Which one, the, the, the blank man or the Claire's? Claire's. You're probably not wrong. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, Josh, what's something else you didn't like, man? Man, the the fighting in this. Like, like yeah. Godzilla and, and, uh, and Kong. Like, I just did not like either one of these guys. Mm-hmm. Like, I... I I feel like there's there should be a problem when the your best takeaway from a movie named after two two iconic monsters battling and that's not enough to catch your viewers attention but the the subplot of all your humans are like to me like I just did not find myself caring about this these guys like I I never had that moment where I'm just like come on come on like go for it kick him beat him like it, it just like these fights were just like super dull to right. me hmm. all right so let's how about you what's something you didn't like um i didn't care for the octopus it it okay i i understand that you said a bunch of things that made me feel guilty <laughs> for not liking the octopus because you're like oh they did all of these film things and they were doing stuff and boogity boogity film magic but it 
it was just, I'm like, why? Why are we, why is it flapping its head at them? Why? It's just like, like doing this Ursula thing, but badly. And so, like, and it makes sense that they were making it angry. It looked angry. It looked irritated. It looked like Mr. Feeney. But it just was not, not, not that Mr. Feeney looks like an octopus, but the octopus was channeling Mr. Feeney anyway. So it just was not a pleasant thing. That and the noise. The squishing noise was too much. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I get it. I really do. All right. So for me, uh, one of the things I, one of my last hand is like was, I get it. It's the 60s. But the lack of the plot line of how, how Godzilla was found on accident right? bugged me. Like the military just lost track of which iceberg had Godzilla in it? Exactly. Like that really bugged me. Like I, like it was a major ordeal. And I, Josh, I don't know if you ever seen Godzilla raids again, but um, then it's a major fight at the end where they're literally bombing the heck out of a iceberg to bury Godzilla within it and to trap him with the ice. I mean, it's like a five minute or ten minute scene of them just flying planes and shooting at the ice trying to to capture him. I'm like, why didn't nobody put a marker on this? Like, somebody should, like, you know, put a flag. Maybe a, fl- a flag. Just put a flag on the ground so you yeah. know. No flag, no country. That's how this works. And then you have, like, this random ship, like, oh, what could that be? I don't know. It's like, that bugged me. Like, the lack of continuity from one film to the next. Yeah. Um, again, I get, I totally get this is the 60s. Um, they're not thinking about the way that we see things now as post MCU um, world mindset that we have where, you know, we're making references to a film that's 20 years old and it has to be on point or we're having revelation from a film from 20 years ago today. Um, But that bothered me is the lack of continuity. And um, knowing what I know about the next film, the franchise, which is Godzilla versus Mothra. um, It, it sort of plays out, but it does at the same time. And this one, he kind of falls into the ocean and, and he's there. And there's conversation like, you know, did he die? Did he not die? There was an early script of, that was supposed to be Godzilla versus Kong part two. Yeah, and I didn't hear that. Something revived, like there was a dead Godzilla and they revived him for that fight. Uh, but they, they nixed that, that one all together. Uh, in Mothra, he's buried under some land, and in, you can maybe make the, the the you can make the claim that they had basically built some dams to clear the water area, so they could build up some an area for basically a new highway, and that's how they found Godzilla. But at the same time, like eh, it's a little sketchy. So mm-hmm. the, the continuity between films is kind of bothering me. But again, this I'm this is the '60s, so I'm trying to have grace for it. But yeah. It just bugged me. Yeah. <laughs> Can you really have grace for the 60s like when you have a masterpiece like Psycho existing just a few years earlier and the birds a year after this? Not everybody can be Alfred Hitchcock. That's fair. That's the grace. And Hitchcock was also, I mean, he was innovating certain things. Yeah, he was. Like we, we emulate him today. They, this film had a chance to innovate two monsters from two different cultures coming together. Nope. I get it. <laughs> but, but you notice that Hitchcock never did a monster movie. Not like, not that type of monster movie. Nah. 
man is the worst monster of us all. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, let's bring this uh, plane crashing down uh, like Godzilla's two feet into Kong's chest. Um, <laughs> can we recommend this film? If we can, why? If we can't, um, why? So, uh, Celeste, you first. Uh, I'm going to say maybe. Maybe? If if you're a completionist like you and I are, then sit through it and keep in mind. I think it's better than Godzilla Rides Again just because I was less bored. I, I was kind of bored during Godzilla Rides Again. Um, Rides Again? Yeah, but that has more to do with the progression of the type of storytelling than mm-hmm. it does with the actual movies. Because the movie, I th- Godzilla Rides Again, I think was actually a better movie. It's just that type of storytelling doesn't catch my attention. Yeah. Um, so if you if you take into account where it's from, sure. If you don't, then it, I, I honestly wouldn't show this to anybody. <laughs> I'm not going to be like, yeah, let's watch this. So... Take that for what you will. I get it. Josh, Cats of Nostalgia. I'm going to go hard no with the (laughs) exception uh, if you're a cinephile or a completionist. Like Mm. Celeste said, like this movie, uh, I don't know if you guys watched Mank on Netflix. It's the story of how uh, Citizen Kane came to be. Mm. And um, Citizen Kane said to be one of the greatest movies of all time and but as an example when we did it last year on our show it we said that this is a movie for cinephiles this mm-hmm. is a movie for people that want a inside look into what 1930s and 40s hollywood was really like and that's kind mm-hmm. of what i would say for king kong versus godzilla is if you're gonna watch it first off it has to be the japanese version Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, you have to know a little bit about Japanese culture mm-hmm. uh, because this gives you such a, a good snapshot of what the culture was like in 1962. Yeah. But uh, you still have to kind of do some digging to like fully understand why things are the way that they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you do. I'm going to fall in line with you guys. Again, it's, it's, it's a dumb movie. And so, like, if you just want a dumb movie to throw in the background, it's there. Um, but if if you're going to watch it, I would say you probably need to be, like, like everyone say, you need to be a cinephile. You need somebody that's, that's just really into film, filmography. Um, you need to be a completionist, probably, um, like I am. And then you can really enjoy it. You do have to, I, I would say, though, Josh, with what you had to say about having to have an understanding about the time period and everything, I would say for today's generation, um, for those of us who are born from the 80s on forward, we almost have to work to have a cognitive idea of what life was back, like back in the early yeah. 70s mm-hmm. and 60s and 50s for any of those films because we're so disconnected, especially today, so disconnected from what that world looked like and how that pans out. Um, I saw, I was watching... What was I movie watching? I was watching Godzilla versus uh, Ghidorah, or Godzilla versus the Three Headed Monster, which is the first appearance of Ghidorah. Yeah. And they they cut to a scene of a particular area in Tokyo, and I'm watching them, and there's a lady on the phone. I see the background, and um, 
um, I'm sorry, particular city in, in, in Japan. And um, I'm like, I've seen that intersection in other films. Mm-hmm. But it's so drastically different. Oh, yeah. And life has changed so much for them in Japan. And I've, it's happened here with movies here. Uh, and I, I watched, a, there's a film called, um, oh, was it? I think it's called By the Sword. Can't remember. It's a film that takes place in New York City. It's about fencing, hmm. and um, they show scenes in New York. And um, I've walked those very streets that they talked about, and it's completely different. To uh, when I walked them back in two thousand nine, I'm sorry, two thousand five, than they were in that film that was filmed back in the eighties. And so um, we had to have when we watch these films, we had to have a little grace going into them, keeping those in mind. So. I think that's it for those of us here at Geek at Comtalk. Um, if you want to watch it, it's not a big deal. Um, if you're, I, I would say that if you're going to watch Godzilla versus Kong, uh, if you can find a copy of it, even if it's just the American version, or if you want to go to archive.org no. and watch the Japanese version, just to see if you get the Easter eggs. That's a fun thing to play is find the Easter egg. I, um, I would say don't watch the American version at all. <laughs> it like, was really bad. As bad as this one was, the American version was worse. It was just disconnected and like things just didn't make sense because they chopped out so much. Yeah. It was bad. It was real bad. <laughs> real quick, Josh, before we go, is there anything you want to promote with Victims of Villains? Anything you've got cut, you guys got coming up? Uh, much like you guys, I just want to, the listeners to know that you have value and that you have worth. And um, even if you've made it through this hour and change talking about a terrible movie. Uh, just know that you have value and yeah. God loves you. I mean, absolutely. Bottom line. Uh, only thing that I would say outside of that is if you need it, uh, victims and villains.net forward slash hope is our mental health resource library. Um, where we've, where we have, um, our goal is to, reach people both with uh, general population and uh, niche groups alike. So we have all of that there for you guys. Word. So check them out, guys. Um, Josh is doing great stuff all the time. Um, I have the uh, great opportunity of, of being on Josh's Facebook as a kind of admin, mostly because he forgot to take me off his Facebook <laughs> after I helped him. Um, but I see messages coming into him all the time of people who just, they just need help just kind of walk through some stuff. And so I really appreciate all the things that Josh and his team does over there. Uh, please reach out to them. Um, um, because he cares. <laughs> like, let's be real. He just cares. And, um, and we care about you. Um, I've said this several times. I feel like I've said this several times over the last couple of weeks. Um, if for whatever reason you like watch this because you connect with Josh Berkey, um, please go follow Josh Berkey. Follow Captain Nostalgia, Victims of Villains, and be part of that community. Um, maybe listen to this, and you didn't like what I had to say about um, Kong versus Godzilla, but you like what Josh had to say. Please stop following me and follow Josh, because I know he cares about you. Because I know that he knows that there's a plan and hope for your purpose, a plan and hope and a purpose for your life. And um, we're all in this together to help you grow, to help you find your next step with God, help you discover what God's called you to be. And we love you guys so very much. So that's all I got. Uh, Celeste, land this plane for us, dear. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Calm Talk today. 
If you have loved this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is very much appreciated. So until next time, stay devoted. Peace and love. Peace and love.